There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, WWE Universe in the Philippines. This is Charlotte, and you're with Stan, Roe, and Raph on the SGP Podcast. Woo! Are you ready? Marks and Smarks. This is the Smarky Las Filipinas podcast. You are listening to the longest-running weekly episodic Filipino wrestling podcast. This is the Smarky Las Filipinas podcast. Stan C, Romaran, and Raf Camus all connected by the wonderful interwebs right now because of the weather. <laughs> we Skype. Well, not Skype. Facebook Messenger. Facebook okay. Messenger works better for our needs. Yeah, actually it does. Uh, I hope. I wish that you know our international guests would add us on Facebook some more, so we can do this over Messenger. Speaking of international yeah, it's, guests, it's a lot easier. Speaking of international yeah. guests, this week's episode does actually involve an international guest. We've been posting about him since last week when we got to speak to him. And this week, the episode is ready. So if you're a huge fan of Lucha Underground, then we've got somebody you've been watching on TV week after week as one of the biggest and most creepy people on television. None other than Marty the Moth Martinez, or if you, go, uh, if you want him to go by his real name, Martin Casaus. Mm. Hey. And that's how you actually uh, pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately, uh, Thomas and I are not able to join this conversation because there's only room for two. And our friend Anthony Coelho of SmartHenry.ph is here to join us because he is the official Lucha Underground review guy. So we, we, we thought, no, shut no, 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 no. He, he knows his stuff better than we do. Yeah. And, and, you know, we don't have him on the show very often. Theoretically, he knows, he knows his stuff better than we do. Yeah. And, you know, what, what makes this interview special, actually, is the fact that Martin was very cordial and really engaging as an interviewee. The whole interview lasted more than an hour. We were just shooting for 30 minutes, uh, 45 probably max, based on uh, our experience talking to Jeff Cobb. But I would have to say that the Martin Casaus interview, we were able to get more out of Marty than we were out of, uh, out of Kuya Jeff. Oh, we're really, we're really going there, really comparing the two. No, not really. I mean, oh, yeah, 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 we totally are. Yeah, we totally are. We're, we're not throwing shade towards Jeff Cobb. It's just that that really <laughs> was the case when uh, when it comes to him. I, I I guess it's also because of the time difference. Now, when we talked to Jeff Cobb, he was based in in, in California, yeah. so West Coast, in time zone. Yeah, and um, he, it was seven a.m. He literally just woken up. As for Marty, he's based in Utah, so it's Mountain Standard Time. So he had at least one more hour of rest compared to Jeff Cobb when we made the call. I actually can't wait to hear this episode because uh, we can only hear the half, the, the local half of the conversation. So uh, when you hear it, uh, when you guys hear it, the interview, we'll, Kamus and I will be hearing it for the first time as you guys are. Right, right. So that's uh, that's pretty much in the pipeline for for this week's episode. So the things we talk about include Martin Casas' origins mm-hmm. as a pro wrestler. We'll also be talking about his experience on Tough Enough, how he got to know Stone Cold, how he interacted with Eric Van Wagenen, the likes of Eva Lee's and Matt Cross, who we would come to know as Son of Havoc, 
and of course his time on Lucha Underground and a lot of the stuff that you probably aren't conscious of whenever he goes on, you know, in full on creep mode as Marty the Moth. Right now, though, before we get into that interview, we have to talk about this week in wrestling because we had uh, PWR Live Bakbakan sa Bayanihan last Sunday, which I, I totally missed. Uh, people were asking where I was. So just to set the record straight, I was out in Batangas playing Survivor. It was a game I'd been planning for a year uh, up to, uh, prior to last weekend. So uh, there's actually a group that organizes this. And I built, built a little bit of notoriety within the Survivor community as a heel uh, based on a game I played last year. So this year, I set out to just uh, build on that reputation and see if I can actually win it in, in, in real time with real people, with real challenges. Uh, I almost got to the end. I didn't, but in the process, I did turn babyface. So, um, I, so there, you, what, what? there you have it. Mr. C ditched a show, uh, quite an important show. So he missed the crowning of a new PWR champion, just to go play Survivor. And now you wonder why John Sebastian and Peter Versosa are mad at you. To be very, very fair, this was actually scheduled a good half year in advance. So I actually thought that every PWR show would be at the last weekend of, of the month, which it had been prior to July, uh, with, with Mainit being a notable exception. So um, I, I really thought that was the schedule. And then when I was told by uh, the booking team that it would be July 23 instead of July 30, I was like, well, fuck me. I'd already booked this like um, uh, six months in advance. So there really was no way I was going to... Uh, Pick one over the other. Well, no, I did pick one of the over the other, but there was no way I could have both. So, you know, that that pretty much explains where where I was. But I know what happened. I am in the process of catching up with uh, what happened in terms of uh, visual visually, like watching the the, the footage. Um, we did crown a new PWR champion. We also lost a PHX champion. We crowned a new All Out War champion. Uh, what what else happened? What what else of note happened uh, last Sunday? I was a well, troll, yeah. Yeah, there uh, was there was brawl. that brawl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the abduction. Uh, the Yellow Twins made a kid cry. Oh yes, and uh, uh, they made a father angry as well. I heard. Yeah, yeah. But we can all talk about all of this next week when we have our official review. Because at this point, we don't have anyone to officially review the show with us. Actually, yes, that is why we have Marty the Moth on this week. Uh, the original plan was to have him on next week, so we're gonna mix things up a little bit. Since we know that you can wait anyway, um, so let's let's uh, talk about WWE then because they also had a big week. We had Battleground last Monday, and for a lot of people, it was a confusing show. Like I came out of Battleground not knowing what to feel about the show, and after taking some time to decompress and process it, I didn't really like it. Yeah, only thing like there was only one really good match, and that was. Uh, you know, the tag team championship match at the beginning, and then not even AJ and Kevin Owens could, could steal the show, but mostly because of the fiasco that had gone down in the finish. So, for those who don't know, uh, AJ Styles was supposed to retain the United States championship, but for some reason, uh, was not able to get his shoulder up in time in the finish. The, the one where you know the, the ref got took a bump and came to and then didn't see exactly uh, uh, AJ's side of the pin. And AJ didn't see him on his side of the pin either. So he kind of got his shoulder up a little too late for him to uh, for him to stay in the match. And as you all know, since the WWE referees have to call this one as they see it, because otherwise you would bury the referee if they 
if you know if if the WWE if an authority figure suddenly decided to restart the match based on what you know what the script says should happen, you automatically bury the the referee's authority. Right. So right. that was that. That was that, and you know that was just a whole awkward deal, I guess. And it wasn't like the best match they could have. But you know we'll talk about SmackDown in a bit. All, all in all, uh, even the Punjabi Prison, which I had high hopes for because it was Randy Orton and Jinder Mahal and not the great Kali. Yeah, um, show up and help. Speaking of the Punjabi Prison match, one of the uh, things that people actually looked forward to was, as you mentioned, it was Randy and Jinder because the first two iterations of the Punjabi Prison match always had a really big guy involved, right? Uh, it was Big Show and the Boss Undertaker. Yeah, it was Big Show and the Undertaker the first time, and then it was the Great Kali and was it Batista? Tamaba? Right? Batista, yes, Batista. Yeah, it it was a match for big people, and now you, you know you have Randy and Jinder who are definitely more athletic, definitely more mobile than the four guys we mentioned, just because of their uh, of of the size difference. And I guess on my end, I did find myself enjoying that, but I realized that it was only really the last act of the match I truly enjoyed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, everything happened when when they started fighting outside. Everyone, uh, the, both of them, just wrestled a match like a normal pro wrestling match inside the, the inner structure, which was weird to me because you were locked inside a bamboo cage. What happened to all the talk, Randy? Randy had about you know being locked in there with him, right? Uh, why didn't they beat the fuck out of each other the moment the bell rang? There was but some, was, yeah. There yeah was they, some... they were locked in there with, with each other, right? You know, in a hell of a cell match, in a typical hell of a cell match, they would kick each other's asses. But no, the, this one they they kind of held back and then uh, really just started taking it to each other when they got out. Yeah, it was. It seemed like a waste of the of the bamboo structure at that. Na parang. The first that that first the first two acts it's like it dragged man yeah, it, it, dragged. Really did it didn't drag. do much for me it didn't do do too much for me and at the end of the day you know it could have been likened more to a, a Hell in a Cell match if they pushed in that direction I really would have appreciated that pero yeah yeah and to think of the match type uh, whether it's a Punjabi prison or a Hell in a Cell uh, that match type pretty much favored Jinder as well as it did, as I mean, more than it did Orton. Because, you know, we all know, we can see that Jinder is like uh, a striker, a brawler. He works better uh, when his when his, when his action, when his, when his offense is a little unrefined and rough. And they just didn't go there until, the, as you said, the, the last two acts. Yeah. I mean, this is a match that I think we're not going to be getting well within the next two years or so. If they're saving it and building it up to be a special event type thing. Yeah, come on. We, can, we can't hear you. I don't think we're going to be getting this match again soon. So, sayang lang, diba? It's a rare occasion as it is, diba? I think it's just a matter of agenting it well next time. Uh, for some reason, everyone was, almost everyone was off their game from, you know, from the wrestlers to the people behind the scenes. They were off their game in, in Battleground last Sunday. Like, it just finally they just couldn't figure out what to do really for some reason. Yeah, perfect I mean, if, if, storm of bad booking. If if you had to like rattle off some of the other is. things, uh, some sure. of the other things that uh, didn't fly as well as we hoped it would be, uh, you would have the Nakamura Corbin match for one. Uh, the Nakamura Corbin match was really yeah. disappointing, uh, considering what would happen on SmackDown, where they would have a rematch, and then it 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 turns out it turns out to be way better than what they had at Battleground. 
Uh, you have the yeah. You might as well address address all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Let, let, let's talk about Nakamura and Corbin because the SmackDown match was way, way better. You would think that uh, that type of match that they would have had, they would have actually pulled it off on pay per view instead of giving it away for free. Yeah, I think yeah. it's pambawe lang yan eh. Consuelo na yan. Yeah, the match on SmackDown. Yeah, yeah, it kind of is. Kamas uh, is right. Kind of is like uh, you figure in a. You didn't do so well in Battleground, so okay, this is where we went wrong, and then we fix it in, you know, on on, on on SmackDown, yeah, on TV. So I guess it was weird that the pay per view matches were like not that great, and then all of a sudden everyone brings their best, brings a better game on TV. What can you guys say about the fact that you had a flag match, which you, you could tell that Cena and Rusev have obviously put into despite the fact that they were so hamstrung by that xenophobic story. And then you head into SmackDown, Rusev is nowhere to be found. And then John Cena immediately jumps into the WWE Championship picture. Uh, yeah, it was really weird. Uh, obviously, they don't, they don't know what to do with Rusev other than being, I mean, other than having him be the, the evil foreigner. So that, that, that's kind of a drag. Uh, as for the actual flag match, uh, it was really, you know, I, I have to commend both of them for doing their best, even though, obviously, you kind of have to give up logic for drama. Uh, like, you know, you, why didn't Rusev just throw in, throw the flag in the audience or whatever, right? Uh, why didn't he just hit Cena with the flag, you know? You um, obviously maximize all of that for the sake of having something to watch to fill of the minutes, but... So that flag match really had a lot of wrestling logic, into it, uh, as you mentioned, Ro. I really hated how Rusev, all, all, all he had to do the ball was just plant the flag. Why couldn't he just impale Cena's hand or some shit? Just, just end the match and then worry about whatever later on. I, I, yeah, I, I hated how dumb it was. Uh, I, I see, you know, I see different criticisms for this kind of match. And it's kind of weird because on one hand, yeah, you know, it's all drama and stuff because... Uh, Shembra, you had minutes to fill, and obviously it's a whole it's a whole theater of violence, right? So you kind of you kind of have to maximize your your the the the, the value of the, the quality of drama or the drama you have in this match. On the other hand, uh, it is kind of annoying when you know people couldn't suspend their disbeliefs enough to to you know to even let it sli- let it slide down. Uh, Maybe, you know, obviously, you, you just kind of match, and you have to do what you have to do in order to make it look compelling. But I guess, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, maybe there was a way to have uh, to have mixed the two, to have mixed both logic and drama in, you know, th- that was that would satisfy both caps. Like, I, I guess I can agree that Cena and Rusev were just doing it too old school, but I'm... They would. They assume that everyone would just go along with their act and and not, you know, wonder why Rusev wouldn't just, as you said, impale Cena's hand or whatever, just do what he had to do. And you know, he actually in the in the last few in the last minute or two, he had the match won if he and and plant the flag. I have a question though, because anybody here in the Philippines, you can't let the Philippine flag touch the ground. Like that's disrespectful. Yeah, I was actually wondering about that. Uh, you can't actually let any flag touch the ground, but at that point, but. Uh, uh, you 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 kind of see it coming that in it like you're literally two wrestlers trying to plant a flag on the other side of the arena. So at some point you will have to drop the flag, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So it was a given. I'm I'm just surprised that there is no backlash considering that I think it was Brazil at that and WWE was there and then the flag was or, uh, the flag hit the canvas and there was a huge ruckus over it. So I'm no, so no 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 that was Jericho. That was Jericho kicking the flag. He was actually you know doing yeah. shit to the flag. Not oh. Just... He he dis- he dishonored them. Yeah, yeah he did. Right, so in this case, uh, like neither the U.S. government nor the Bulgarian government has a case. Gonna buy? I, I, I don't know. Um, I I have no hey, idea what the, I mean, what the rules are. It's it's it's. They were trying to transport the flag from point A to point B. At some point, since they're trying to stop the other person from doing that, you kind of have to drop the flag. It's kind of inevitable. But um, mm. I don't think it was physically possible to keep the flag above the floor at all times. At all times. Okay, fine. Yeah, well. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Uh, we also have a new number one contender to the Women's Championship or on SmackDown. It's Natty, which um, I really don't mind. Did, did any of us predict Natty last week? Uh, I figured, well, um, I don't know. I, I kind of figured that she would be the one to get it eventually because, you know, she was a heel. Yeah. We, we wanted a Becky and Charlotte uh, draw or whatever, but right. we didn't get it. So obviously the next best, yeah. the next best is still Natty. Right, right, right. Since she's the only credible heel in the division when you really think about it. Yeah. And you also have uh, Sami Zayn getting his win back against Mike Kanellis in what I thought was a pretty fun match. Um, I, I just worry that Mike Kanellis losing his first feud doesn't really give him much uh, much credibility as a, as a new superstar, but especially after you know, losing again on SmackDown this week. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think I don't think Canel, I don't think Mike was meant to have that much credibility until you know as long as they as long as he is uh, is with Maria and this is their gimmick. It just yeah. I mean, they're still gonna get heat either way. That's the thing with them. Even if he loses the feud. Right. Right. So you have that, and to top it all off, New Day winning the Tag Team Championships against the Usos, and I think what, what's generally being considered as the best match on that card. It is. Yeah, it pretty much is. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's a, and they're the first tag team to, to have held both the Raw and SmackDown Tag Team Championships. That's a nice thing. And it's, an, it's one of those annoying talking points we're going to be getting every week now. Yeah. So I don't mind. Hey, look at Camus look being the stat guy for this week. Like He's just pulling out random stats left and right, and they're actually indisputable. Yeah, <laughs> happens when we're not in the same room. I guess. Okay, whatever. Right. Uh, of course, the pre-show, you had uh, Aiden English defeating Ty Dillinger, and then they rehashed that a little bit on SmackDown this week. So let's drop to SmackDown. Let's talk about the stuff that went on and what's to expect next week. First of all, the return of Jericho. Did anybody see this coming? Nope. No, I did nope, not nope, see it at nope. all. Um, it was a good move for them to have uh, brought Jericho back and probably try and use it to try and boost SmackDown again, which is a good call, actually. Um, I don't know if it's him or just because they all just decided to book better matches and book better outcomes, but you know, uh, his arrival signaled suddenly a much better episode. Can I just say that? Yeah, and he's it- going to be a good hand. Not just a good hand, but inserting him into the Styles-Owens feud for this week and then making it the triple threat, that was one of the best things they could have done. And then that match that all three guys put out was probably my favorite from this week. Yeah, it's actually yeah. one of the best the best SmackDown main events they've had in a while. That is tough, yeah. So yeah, I, I love that. 
Um, we also have a double main event for next week that I, I was saying this on Facebook yesterday would make Ricky, uh, Ricky Publico, our reviewer, just explode because you have Cena versus Nakamura for the number one contendership. And then you mm-hmm. also have Styles versus Owens for, for the U.S. championship. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what are we talking about? Uh, let's talk about uh, Cena Nakamura real quick. People are going to complain, and they have already, that we're getting this, this match on free TV. But at this point, you have to realize that SmackDown is already, and I hate to say this, already losing the Raw in terms of quality. I mean, they're not giving up that much ground, but they are giving up some ground. Yeah, I totally and, agree. Uh, at this at this point, finally, you, as, as SmackDown, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you had to pull out all the stops in order to, you know, to get back some some of that ground you lost. I'm not sure uh, what it is exactly that people are arguing that, okay, you're giving this away on free TV, when on the flip side, the counter-argument to that is if a show wants to keep putting out its best effort every week, don't stop it because it will force them to keep coming up with something better to top the, the previous week's effort. You get what I mean? Actually, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. And the the main argument that people have when it comes to putting stuff on free TV is is they want the pay-per-views to mean something. And that's fine. It's totally fine. But at some point, you have to start something, right? Uh, it doesn't matter whether where they start as long as you, as long as, you know, you're getting somewhere. You're getting somewhere worthwhile. Uh, they just wanted to have a good pay-per-view build, but at this point, if you can't even trust yourselves to build all the way every week to the pay-per-view, at this point, I would be okay with having this on free TV. If there's one Actually, thing I appreciate, you know, yeah, it, sorry, it, go go go. Yeah, I was gonna say that at this point, because uh, SmackDown has such a limited, you know, limited. Permutations of matchups left, and this is one of them Actually, that is don't. so compelling that they don't have a limited permutation. That's not true. They're, they're out of. No, they're not. No, no, no. They're, they're, they're not. They, they, no, they're not. They, they just haven't used all of them up yet, and this is them using one. And yeah, I, I agree. At some point, that you kind of have to save this one for a big, uh, for, for a, a big, big show, for a big show. But at least they had the courtesy and the decency and the logic to, to. Make this match because they earned this match. Like they mentioned, uh, Dan Bryan mentioned that Cena beat Rusev in a flag match. Uh, Nakamura There's beat Cole really clean. Uh, so why not these two guys who just won put them together in a number of contenders match? It's not like it's not like it's a whole feud. It's just a number one contenders match. It's a bridge to the next feud, to the next story. Niba, it's, uh, that is actually not a feud in itself. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Thank you. Uh, uh, at this point, at least, it's not from out of nowhere that they're just doing it for, just to say they're doing it for the first time ever. Zooming out a little bit, I think one of the more interesting things about the way WWE is booking stories right now is the fact that they're actually looking ahead. Like, it's not just building towards next week, but there's an end game, that being SummerSlam. And this is something we haven't really been getting a whole lot of outside of the main event picture with this many weeks before the pay-per-view. I don't know if you noticed this. Yeah. Everyone has been doing it lately. Uh, everyone on Raw, on Pretty much everyone on SmackDown, even 205 Live, uh, they're starting to work on starting to work on planning ahead for some reason. I don't know who's who's the one behind this, but I whoever it is, I, I'm thankful for, for it. 
Yeah, I approve. I approve as well. Um, I, I like that we're seeing the women's championship pic- uh, picture being filled out. The, uh, the Of course, the main event scenes being filled out. Then you have all these secondary feuds, which uh, will probably start to take shape as the weeks go by. Um, before we get yeah. to the Martin Casals interview, I have to touch on Raw, and we have to talk about it, just because sure. we are getting that fatal four-way. Yeah. It's going to be Brock, yes, Samoa Joe, Told Ron you. Strowman, and Roman Reigns, and I love it. Yeah, well, it's going to be a barn burner. Uh, I have to ask you guys this though: is this uh, is this a rightful, a worthy, a worthy SummerSlam match? Do you think there should have been a big one-on-one match? But I think, I say, you know, there are some people arguing for a signature one-on-one match that would, you know, that was uh, make the SummerSlam, the SummerSlam event. But to me, I think that's as big as you can go. Not well, partly because. Raw and the WWE has been slow relatively in making new stars, but at this point, you kind of have to get everyone on the show. And why not, you know, throw four of your biggest dudes on Raw in one match? For the people who are bitching yeah, at, at uh, the same time. Yeah, so, sorry, go, Camus, go. Yeah, and at the same time, it's not, you know, it's not. It's a good four way. It puts guys that all have beef with each other in the same match. And. At the end of the day, it's star power done. Actually, right. yeah, yeah, that's actually true. No, and and to just uh, top it all off, sinun tatanggalin mo? Like, if you wanted to be a one-on-one, but yung, uh, going off of what Kamo said, they have the star power of all four guys, and and certain goals like putting a Braun Strowman over, establishing him as a threat, establishing Samoa Joe as a threat, possibly letting Roman Reigns win the championship, but not necessarily making Brock Lesnar lose all his heat. Sinun tatanggalin mo? Right, you might as well just have all four guys there. Find a way to get Roman the championship if that really is the plan, without necessarily making Brock Lesnar look so weak. Yeah, pretty much. Like you can see, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, you can see that's the goal. So, um, at 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 this juncture, I really don't mind if Roman Reigns wins the Universal Championship, um, as long as Braun and Joe and Brock really make him earn it and even you know uh, potato him a bit in the process. Yeah, I think they will. Yeah. This isn't much of uh, an issue, you know, with with those guys, especially with Roman. Um, I think at that point, the Fatal 4-Way is the best way to make them earn it. So, yeah, I look forward to that. But uh, with that said, would a multi-man match, in a, uh, a multi-man SmackDown match, would that go over well considering you already have one on the red brand? Uh, no, uh, no, 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 there. So you got to do something different. It, it, it's one of the curses of uh, you know having two brands and then putting it together in one pay-per-view. Uh, you got to find something different. And I wouldn't really mind Cena versus Jinder. I think at this point, it would be, uh, given Cena's recent track record, it would be a better outing than Jinder versus Randy. I know, right? Like, uh, you know, following mm-hmm. last year's Cena-AJ SummerSlam, I'm, I'm actually pretty excited. I don't know why. There, there's something about seeing Cena and Jinder na parang, okay, as long as they don't make this all about the xenophobia angle, I can actually get behind this. Just for the wrestling. Okay, but question. If Nakamura does make it, just just say, just playing Black Hat here, what if Nakamura does make it? Are you guys okay with seeing yes. Nakamura versus Jinder? Absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. want to see this match happen. Of course. Uh, I think, I don't know, Nakamura does seem like he wouldn't care sometimes. But, uh, at this point, uh, I want to see him try to take Jinder's game to another level. Uh, I think 
Jinder is a strong style wrestler waiting to happen. I think he's just, he just needs a right opponent to bring it out of him. And I think given uh, a motivated Nakamura, he might be that guy. I also think that yeah, this is one of the... Any... It's one of the more unlikely feuds, but now we wouldn't necessarily think we needed or that we wouldn't necessarily be excited about. And yet, if they pull the trigger I'm on this one, about this. you know, but you, you never knew you wanted yeah. it until the possibility crossed your mind. Because I never no, thought until, this could happen. Oh, probably oh. until, uh, probably until we get the first match. Right, right. Um, yeah. One last bit on Raw before we get to that interview. Uh, tag team championship picture. Are Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins headed towards that? Uh, uh, I could Dean see that happening. I don't think so. I, I think I think they're gonna have. Uh, I think they're gonna have a weird ass Seamus Cesaro esque reunion. Uh, you you notice on Raw that Seamus and Cesaro were strangely watching their match. Yes. Uh, so it means either one of those teams are gonna challenge for the tag team championships in the future. So I don't really see it being uh, the Miz to Raj unless it's just you know Axel and, and Bo. So I think. With that, a really random insertion, I think it's going to be a Dean Seth story in the same vein as Seamus and Cesaro. Mm, I can get. I think it's going there. Yeah, but yeah. if if you it's notice on Raw, if you notice on Raw, uh, Cesaro and Seamus were also scouting the Hardys and the club and the revival. So what if it it turns into tag team turmoil or some shit? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The point is, but. If Seamus and Cesaro were, were scouting the you know the, the usual tag teams that we already know are there, catch wherein there aren't any obvious tag teams that are in the tag team division. What does that mean for any of these five guys competing? Who, which one of those teams, you know, which one of those sides is actually considered in the tag team division? I, I tweeted out this question. Does this mean that what Dean and Seth are also uh, low key in the running in the division? Parang eh, no? it's it's a super weird uh it's it's a super weird uh insertion there. Yeah, but it's something I ultimately wouldn't mind. Anyway, um I think Yeah, me too. Yeah, I th- I think that takes care of Raw and SmackDown right now. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about like um anything G1 related or NXT or uh, Lucha? I'm good, I'm good. I think I think we've held we've held the people's attention long enough. It's time to get yeah. to Martay. All right, let's Martin. do that. Let's do that. Then here we go. Our interview with Martin Casaus, or as you know him better, Marty the Moth Martinez of Lucha Underground. This is an interview that we've been trying to put together for quite some time as well, and I'm glad that it's finally pushing through. And we are talking to one of the stars of Lucha Underground. You know him as Marty the Moth Martinez. We are talking to Martin Casaus. Marty, how's it going? Doing fantastic. How are you guys doing? Uh, well, you know what? It's, uh, it's, it's late at night here in Manila. We understand that you probably spoke up about a couple of minutes ago. So uh, thank you so much for taking yes, time out so to do much. this with us. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, I just woke up just a couple of minutes ago. It's about uh, 8 here. I usually get up at 7, so I'm not up too earlier than I used to be. Um, so glad we got finally connected. Now, um, I understand that right now uh, you, uh, you, you've already finished taping Season 3 of Lucha Underground. Is that correct? That's right. So uh, what have you been up to these days? Um, I've been doing some movies. I was in the most recent Adam Sandler film, Sandy Wexler. That's also on Netflix. So if you guys have Netflix. Oh, you guys probably over there don't have the same Netflix you do. No, we actually oh, do. Yeah, we have. 
We were just you watching do. Netflix earlier. Awesome. That's fantastic. Well, you got Lucha Underground that's on Netflix. Um, Sandy Wexler, Adam Sandler's movies on Netflix. I'm in that as well. I'm buying a second house. I start. I open up a supplement company. Um, and so I've been working really hard on those. So that's kind of what I've been doing. I've been wrestling every weekend in Mexico. Uh, not every weekend in Mexico, but at least once a month in Mexico. I'm wrestling every weekend somewhere in the world. So I've been pretty busy still. Yeah, you uh, you do seem to be very busy. I've actually seen your website, and your your entire portfolio is actually there. So it's pretty impressive to see how much you've uh, you, you've accomplished all the projects you've dipped your feet into. Uh, but what would you say is the first um, the first field that you actually got into from among all of your many projects? The first field I got into was actually wrestling. Um, oh, I got into wrestling in two thousand three, um, and. I didn't do any acting really until years after that. So wrestling has been my passion the whole time. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's actually something we were uh, wondering about. Uh, can you tell us more about how you started wrestling? Is it something you wanted to yeah. do since growing up? Actually, I didn't know this was something you could do growing up. I got into it very, very, very late. I got into it right in the... Uh, the Monday Night Wars. So I knew, I never knew Hulk Hogan. I knew Hollywood Hogan. I didn't know he was in red and yellow and all that. I, I missed all of that. I came in when the NWO was hot, when they were beating people up. Um, so I was very, very late as a fan of figuring out what wrestling was. And then I didn't know you could actually do it yourself. So I went to a WWE show here in Salt Lake City, Utah. One of the local guys handed me a flyer and uh, said, hey, we actually do this here in locally, and we have a school. And I was super interested. I put the, uh, the uh, flyer in my pocket, and three months later when I cleaned my room, because I, I was like 18. I never cleaned my room back then. Um, I still don't. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, but uh, three months later, I found the flyer again. I'm like, holy crap, I forgot about this whole wrestling thing I can actually do. So uh, I went that next day, and three weeks later, I was in my first wrestling show. Um, so it was really just for someone handing me a flyer. So you local guys, hand out flyers because you never know who you're going to be handing the next flyer to. Oh yeah, you know that that I think that's a story that's um, you know the, you you're, uh, you probably share that story that origin story with several other wrestlers in the business. But um, you mentioned you were 18 when this happened. So um, what were your parents' reactions when you decided that you wanted to get into the industry? About the same reaction they still give me every single day, the time they watch me on the ground. They hate me watching it. They hate me doing wrestling. <laughs> Is it because they're uh, they're afraid that you get injured? Well, yeah, exactly. They they and when and part of wrestling is you're gonna get beat up a little bit. So you see me in pain on Lucha Underground every Wednesday, and my parents can't tell between real pain and this is the pain that I'm portraying as well. So it hurts like hell when you're in there. Um, but sometimes the pain's a little bit more. Right, right. So shown than it is. Yeah. So my parents hate it watching me just get hurt basically. So, um, when you got started, do you remember, uh, uh, which wrestling school did you attend and who was your trainer? Um, I actually attended, uh, UCW zero wrestling school in Salt Lake city, Utah. Um, I was actually trained by Tom Howard um, and Derek Hubbard, 
and uh, Steve Nelson. So uh, the three of those trainers kind of got together and between the three of them, that's kind of how I got my start. And then I traveled um, years after that around. So I got little trainings from a little bit of everybody. How long were you in the school before you had your first match? Three weeks. Wow. Three weeks. Wow. So like yeah, in from the three... first. So like I said, that guy had me a flyer. I went the next day. Um, once I found the flyer again, three weeks later, for my very first day, I took a bump. I was in a show. Wow. In, in three so, weeks, what did, uh, what did they put you through such that you know um, somebody was already confident to put you on a card? Yeah, um, they had me going through bumps. They had me going through the regular drills. Um, thing called the universal drill. If you if you ever done wrestling training before, um, they put me through a lot. But I was a four sport athlete before um, in high school, and this was probably a half a year after high school, after high school, or a year after high school. So I still had that natural. Uh, the ability and that uh, the, those talents that I had from those four sports. Yep. So I caught onto it really easy. Uh, I learned very fast. I still had no idea what the heck I was doing in the first match, but it looks like it was all right. So um, when if I, I actually found it here, and I was thinking about putting it up on my YouTube channel pretty soon, but I got to find out how to use a VHS player and find a VHS <laughs> player. Because <laughs> back in the day, we had VHS tapes. Oh yeah, we we know those all too well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, do you remember what your first match was like? The very first time you went out to the ring and who your opponent was? Absolutely, it was actually very, very comfortable for me um, because my friend from high school that was on the wrestling team with me, I joined wrestling by the way in high school because I thought is what do I do now? And it was a very weird surprise when they hand me a set of headgear and singlet. Um, and it's not what we were doing. Uh, but I wrestled with my best friend who I was on the wrestling team, the captain of the wrestling team with. He actually started training with me. He was in the same match as me. We had a one-on-one -on -one match with him, and I used to do backyard wrestling with him um, forever. So I was very comfortable with him. The only thing is, is now we're in a ring and in a professional setting rather than goofing off and not knowing what the heck we were doing. So I was very comfortable. All my friends and family were there. All of his friends and family were there. So I was actually very excited. Um, nervous still, as I still get nervous, but I, I was very excited. It was actually pretty comfortable for me just because of the situation of wrestling. My best friend, I've been wrestling forever. Do you remember what your gimmick was when you first debuted? I was Tristan Gallo, the reflection of perfection, the best of sports entertainment, the man that men want to be and that women want to be with. That's who I was for the longest time until WWE Tough Enough, actually. Wow. So um, Tough Enough was in 2011, right? Yep, that's right. So, um, so from when you debuted uh, at the age of 18 to when you ended up in Tough Enough, how many years was that and where did you end up working? Let's see, so I started in 2003, Tough Enough was 2011, so what is that, eight years? Yeah, eight years. Yeah. So here's the thing, in Utah, wrestling's not very prevalent. If you go to like a East Coast or the West Coast of America, there's a wrestling school and a place to wrestle about every two blocks. Here in Salt Lake City, Utah, there's my school, and then there is about an eight-hour drive to the next place that you can actually wrestle at. 
Um, so I didn't know there was a world outside of Utah wrestling. So unfortunately, I wasted a good amount of years in the very beginning not going as much as I would have liked to. So, uh, but I did a lot of tours in California. Uh, I did some, actually, yeah, mostly in that time, it was mostly all the California, Nevada area that I was working in, Las Vegas, um, Los Angeles, mostly as I was kind of going between there and Salt Lake City, Utah for the first couple of years, unfortunately, um, until WWE Cup enough. And I started traveling around more and more and more after that. Now it's all over the freaking world, but. At the very beginning, it was very slow, and I feel kind of sad for that. So what I'm saying to new wrestlers is get out there and travel as fast as you can. You, you mentioned that uh, when you started out, yeah, a lot of those years were just spent in Utah. But what was that like being uh, just there in Utah, not knowing how big the world outside of it was, especially when you're trying to make a name for yourself as a wrestler? Well, I, did, I, did, I couldn't know what I didn't know. So um, I, once I figured out, hey, there's all these other schools out there as well. I felt kind of super sad that I wasted a bunch of years not growing. Um, I felt kind of stupid. But um, once I found out, I hit it super, super hard. So I had to make it up for lost time. Um, it feels dumb because you want to, You spent so many years trying to do something. You think you're doing everything you can, but you just didn't know all this was out here that you could learn and get better from. So that kind of sucks, but it worked out in the end. You mentioned you spent a lot of time early on in the Utah wrestling scene. Uh, do you have any memorable moments or, you know, what was the most memorable thing you did back then? Um, let's see. Most memorable thing I did? Well, to me, it's probably not memorable to anybody else. Um, but to me, it was just evolving as a wrestler. At first, I was Tristan Gallo. I had big leather pants. Um, then I went to pleather. Oh no, I had big pleather pants. Then I went to leather pants. Then I finally got some real wrestling gear. And my first time wearing pro trunks, I fell out of my pro trunks in my very first match. Um, to me, that was memorable. Probably to the first three rows of that show where I fell out of my trunks. That was probably memorable to them. They probably got a lot more of Marty the Moth than they wanted to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> as far as memories there, there's a lot of good memories in there. Um, but mostly me evolving as a wrestler, going from what people see as not really wrestling gear, moving into wrestling gear, and just actually becoming a better wrestler. The very first time I wore pro trunks, though, I did fall out, and the first three rows saw a whole lot of Marty the Moth. This is undercarriage. <laughs> so, uh, that's an experience you can look back on right now and just laugh about, right? Oh yeah, I laugh about it now. During the time I, well, I during the time I didn't care either, um, but uh, I, it was just fun watching the faces on them because I was I just I think I took a clothesline or something right there, and then right as soon as I hit the ground and bumped, I felt myself come out of my pro trunks. I'm trying not to be as descriptive as you can think of, but if you can oh, use no, your imagination, go right ahead. What, yeah, go ahead. what came out of my pro trunks? <laughs> I don't have a lot of things that come out of my pro trunks, so you can tell what came out of my pro trunks. <laughs> um, but I just, but I just took a clothesline, so I had to sell my face, and so I didn't want to stop selling my face and then put myself back in. So I just had to keep holding my face and let the first four rows enjoy the views of the moth <laughs> and his undercarriage. 
<laughs> so when this was all yeah. happening to you, uh, when you were in the Utah wrestling scene trying to make a name for yourself, uh, were you a full time wrestler? Were you doing another? Uh, were you doing another gig uh, just to make ends meet? Um, actually, I w- I've been in the finance industry for over a decade, so I was actually doing that. Um, as far as wrestling, I literally just became a full time wrestler as of last Tuesday. Oh no way! Wow. Um, yes, last Tuesday. Um, I, I was uh, in the finance industry. Um, I was a stockbroker, uh, so I, I traded financial stocks on the uh, New York Stock Exchange. Um, I helped people with their retirement plans. Literally, it's just gotten to the point with my supplement company and uh, with wrestling that I just wanted to hit this full-time. And uh, So I started as of Tuesday. I'm now just a full-time wrestler and supplement company guy. So um, I'm excited for that. When you got into the finance industry, like did uh, did you go to college and get a degree to get into that uh, that path, or is that something that you just figured out as you were trying to make a career for yourself as a wrestler? Um, I actually went to college. My parents told me that what you need to do in life is to grow up, get a good job, get a good education, work forty years, and then retire. I I figured out that to sound like a really crappy plan. Yeah. Um, so, but I still got my college degree. I got a. A uh, bachelor's degree in business administration. Uh, I just figured that would be good to own a business. Um, little did I know that I was actually going to own a business in wrestling and <laughs> in the supplement company. But I had no idea what the heck I wanted to do uh, as far as degrees. So I just actually got a business, bachelor's in business administration. Um, and then I was just in the finance industry, and I just fell into these other finance jobs. I got better and better and better until I became a stockbroker. That was financing travel because if you know anything about wrestling and starting out yep you lose a lot of money yep traveling around getting a name for yourself and doing what you can to get out there so you lose a lot of money and thank god i was a stockbroker because i traveled a lot and i lost a lot of money so you're a stockbroker white collar job finance industry how did your peers feel or react when they found out that you had this other life as a professional wrestler they went insane uh, so every Monday you get back and you talk about your weekend. Usually it's, oh, I was hanging out with my family with the kids. Uh-huh. Um, or, oh, I was sitting watching Netflix. And then me, I was like, oh, I went down to California. I kicked a couple guys in the face. I shot some TV. I did some stupid stuff after drinking at night with everybody. <laughs> and it was a blast. So everyone loved coming back and hearing my stories versus them talking to hang out with their family. So they thoroughly enjoyed living vicariously through me on the weekends. Did your co-workers ever watch you, like, wrestle at one of your shows? Several of them did come, yes. Um, now that things are on Lucha, more and more of the co-workers are seeing it um, because people uh, obviously have... It's easier to go turn on the TV and go on Netflix than it is actually take time and go to a show. Yep. Um and uh, they, yeah, I actually, like, several of them went. They thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, one guy, I stole his chair and hit my my colleague with it. <laughs> so uh, that was fun. <laughs> do you ever get heat um, from they the always, bosses? They like, thoroughly enjoyed it, yeah. Do you ever get heat from, like, the management when they see you doing the creepy stuff with Melissa Santos on TV? They actually enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> but it, makes it, it made it so that I couldn't, they couldn't watch Lucha Underground at my work. Ah, okay. Because yeah, okay. there's, they were chanting "creepy bastard" in the background, and we're at a finance industry, and it's uh, I'm in Utah, so it's very 
conservative, very uh-huh. Mormon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so creepy bastard isn't the one they want to say a lot. Hear a lot, actually. Right. So, okay. Um, uh, you, one of the places you mentioned where you started expanding as your wrestling career grew was California. What, were there any notable... Uh, you mentioned that you ended up going uh, to California, right? To, to start wrestling once you got out of Utah. Um, what, what companies or what notable companies started noticing you and that you ended up working for uh, once you got out of Utah? Um, really, the big one for me was, uh, they call it now Hollywood something, but it was, it's Hollywood, I'm trying to remember what they, they changed the name like twice now since then. It's Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, that's what it is. Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, they had their own local television show that showed on all of Los Angeles. Um, it was a guy named David Marquez, he still runs it, and still going very good. Um, but that was like my first time in a locker room with guys like WWE names. Um, Joey Ryan was there. Hey. Um, you got the Gatlug, the uh, Luke Gallows, a bunch of guys were there that you're seeing on the roster at Lucha Underground and the WWE. Yeah. So that was a big notable company for me, just being in that locker room, kind of figuring out, hey, what, what's a real locker room sound like? Yeah. So that's How the bigger that one. Transition for you. You, know, you started off in the Utah wrestling scene. Uh, with local guys, with local promotions, and then suddenly you went to California, and you know, sitting across from you in the locker room is Luke Gallows from the WWE. How was that? Was that a shock to you? Well, he wasn't Luke Gallows back then, so oh, yeah, um, yeah. he was just a. So this is before he was who he was, but I just knew he was a big dude. Um, he looked good, um, but he's been in there like the machine gun. Uh, Carl Anderson was there with him. I know wow. he was doing very good. Adam Pierce was there. Um, there was a few, pretty much that whole Bullet Club was <laughs> almost there. Uh, Daniel Bryan was there. Um, so there's a lot of guys there that I knew was going to be something, uh-huh. um, but they just hadn't made that yet. So I knew I was in the right place to make stars because they had so many people there that nowadays – are everywhere. Ricky Reyes was there. Um, There's so many people that was there. And so it was good to be in a locker room that I felt like I could grow at, um, where I felt at that time in Utah, you could only get as good as a certain spot when you're training with the same couple people every couple of them, yeah. every day. Yeah. Uh, so once I got out there to that kind of scene, that I was able to grow exponentially. And it was an amazing feeling just to kind of see what what TV was like? That was my first experience as well with TV, is shooting there at Championship Hollywood with Marquez. So I was very grateful for that experience there. So you rattled off all these names uh, who eventually made it big, guys like Carl Anderson and Daniel Bryan. And um, what were the things that you learned from sharing a locker room with these guys? Uh, mostly that these guys were going to make it, um, and they were just like everybody else. There wasn't any something special about them. Just they did things a little bit different in the ring um, or they're just a little bit different in real life. Um, but they were just nice dudes that you could have sit and have a conversation with. You didn't have to be this crazy something in order to make it in this business. Look at a guy like Daniel Bryan. He's amazing in the ring and the super nice guy when uh, we're in the back. Um, so really, that was good for me to know that I didn't have to be this 
what people see on TV at all times in order to get to that point where I can be that on TV. It was good to know that these people were just regular people, uh, that this is how you conduct yourself in the locker room and just be there and have fun. So it was good to see that these guys are just regular people and not people that have to have some special, huge, crazy qualities about them to make it on TV. So at this point in your career, you're balancing your career in finance and you're also doing wrestling on the weekends. At what point does Tough Enough come in? Um, around 2010. Um, well, actually, around 2000, like 2010 going into 2011 is when they started posting about uh, Tough Enough uh, and making those. I think on, for this one, they had to have like vote. We had a vote on particular people or something, and I thought that was stupid. Um, so I just was never going to sign up for Tough Enough, period. Um, and then I actually got hit up on Facebook by someone saying, hey, I'm a producer on WWE Tough Enough. Mm-hmm. You're on WWE's radar, and they would like to make sure you put in a video. And after seeing it, all this stuff out there with the voting and stuff like that, I didn't quite believe them. So I just didn't write the dude back for like three days. Yeah. And then uh, finally I said, screw it. What am I losing? If it is someone from Tough Enough, then I might as well try. So I put in something and then I ended up on Tough Enough. So it worked out great for me, but it was all from a Facebook message and me trying to get out there and doing WWE stuff before, hence me being on WWE's radar. Uh, But that's how WWE Tough Enough came about is because I started in Championship Hollywood getting out there. From there, I knew that I needed to get in more locker rooms like that. I started flying myself to California to do Championship Hollywood, but anytime the WWE was there for SummerSlam or anything like that, I'd find myself there. Yeah. I was When the WWE was in Texas, Colorado, I'd find myself there. Anytime they're around Utah, I'd find myself there. It's just so I'd be in front of the WWE. And uh, that's what put me on the radar, and that's what eventually ended up being a Facebook message to me to get on Tough Enough. Yeah. Uh, how was that experience on Tough Enough? Because I remember watching you. Uh, this was the season where Steve Austin was one of the yep, uh, right. mentors. How was that experience, you know, not just uh, uh, learning from these guys, learning from the WWE? Um, it was fun. They gave us a giant mansion and it's reality TV, so they want you to do stupid stuff. So <laughs> if I say, hey, I want a, um, this certain alcoholic drink, all of a sudden it popped up because they want you to get drunk and do something stupid for their TV show. Did you give it to them, so, though? So, freaking me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. I, it, it was a great experience. Uh, I met some great buddies um, on that show. I still keep in touch with most of them. Uh, I'm on Lucha Underground with Ivelisse and Matt Cross, which is Son of Havoc. Yep. So it's good to see us all being at the same show. It was fun, um, and it was good. I get, got me in a relationship with the coaches. Um, I still kept up with Bill DeMont, Booker T, not as much as Trish Stratus, um, but still close to Boston. I probably kept the most relationship as far as coaches with. Um, in fact, I called him last week. So it, it was a great experience. It was uh, definitely TV because I have no idea what being chased by a dog has to do with anything with wrestling. Um, <laughs> But uh, whatever, it's TV, and I was there, and I was learning from some Kofi Boston, so it was a great experience for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things, I remember that season, and one of the things that uh, I remember the most was uh, 
your unfortunate exit from it. Uh, it what did that feel like? You know, you were at that point. You didn't. You weren't in the bottom three at all. You were going strong on top enough, and then suddenly, you know, it all had to come to an end. Right. Well, my ankle broke, so that sucked. So, when your ankle is not connected to the rest of your body, that definitely hurts. Um, it, it was really an emotional roller coaster for me that day. I was very excited because I'd never been on a bottom three. I was killing it in all of the training. I was doing very well in all the physical trainings in the ring. Um, we had a night practice. I wasn't super happy about that because we already practiced during the day. And then it just broke. So I went from super happy, this competition is mine, to my ankle breaking. And I knew something was wrong with it um, once it happened. And, I, and it didn't show this on the show, but I did like three or four more drills wow, with one wow. ankle. Uh, because and then finally Bill saw me not being able to put any weight on it and pulled me aside and said, what's going on with you? said I'm fine um, he's like put your and put some weight on your leg and I did and I couldn't and uh, he says you gotta go get checked out right now and I said Bill I love you but I don't trust this show I don't trust that if I go and they say you can't go anymore that you guys will just get me out of the show I'm saying I can go right now give me some tape let me wrap this crap up and then I'll be good to go and uh he said, no, no, we'll be fine. If you're if you're hurt and you think you can go, you'll still be able to go. So just go to the hospital, check it out. That was why. So I went to the hospital. They said it was broken. You can't go. You're out of the show. And uh, so that was an emotional roller coaster because I was there at the hospital there and uh, had the um, x-rays come through. I had a, a doctor give me a second opinion, a third doctor give me another opinion, and I went up to five doctors before. They just ran out of doctors in the hospital. I said, man. no one's going to clear you, man. And so it was probably 2, 3 o'clock in the morning by the time we got out of there and out of the hospital. So it was very, a long night. And then I pretty much I went and visited a friend that night. Um, it was actually Rima. I went to visit Rima that night for a couple of hours because she couldn't get out there anyway. And we, we had her. She had already been eliminated. Uh, so I went and visited hung out with her since my leg was hurting and basically went straight from there right to the show where we filmed me walking out. So I didn't get any sleep that night. What you saw me when I walked in on my crutches, I hadn't slept at all since the night that I got injured. Um, and so I was very tired and it was just an emotional roller coaster going from super happy to, oh crap, I hope this is okay to, come on, let me just wrestle uh, to, okay, well, this is how it's going to go. So it was very emotional, very, very tough night for me. This is something I've always been curious about, especially with people who uh, are part of a reality TV show. So when you get eliminated, um, how does the exit actually go? Do they, like, uh, pack your bags for you? Do you have to pack, pack it yourself? Is there, like, some walk of shame or whatever? Like, how does that process actually take place? Um, actually, with Tough Enough, part of it was that you had to pack all of your stuff anytime you're on part of the bottom three, um, and they would send you out. Now, I had a little bit different because I went out to injury. Yep. Um, yeah. They sent me to the hospital. Um, when I came back, uh, I went straight to shooting TV, so they actually packed up all my stuff for me. Um, 
So they packed up all my stuff for me. Um, I didn't even get to go back to my room where I was. Uh, they brought the belts to me so I could hang it up myself. Um, they gave me an exit interview after I hung up my belt um, and talked to Steve Austin. They gave me an exit interview, basically trying to make you cry as much as possible and ask as many horrible questions when yeah. you're in a wow. crappy state already. Yeah. Let me just get this straight. You just broke your ankle and you now have to leave when you're about to win this television show and be on the WWE. How do you feel? How do you think I feel? <laughs> and they just asked, and the worst questions ever, do you think you're going to wrestle again? Do you think you're ever going to do this again? And they just try and poke you as many ways they can to try and get a reaction out of you. Yeah. Um, so they do that exit interview, and then pretty much they send you to a hotel and then to the airport. So it's kind of once you're out, you're out, and they send you out of there and get you out of there as fast as they can. I actually heard Matt Cross's interview on Colt Cabana's podcast where he talks about that whole exit interview process and he says that he really didn't give the producers anything to work with. What, what was it uh, from your end? Did you uh, cry when they, you know, when they try to make you cry and all that? Oh, yeah. They try to make me cry for sure. But I won't even lie. I, had, I was in the, uh, the uh, hospital for about good six, eight hours with the producers and everything. Um, and begging doctors to let me just keep wrestling and to shoot my leg up with something just so I can keep going for like four more weeks. Um, so I had done my boobing inside the hospital. I had no more tears left, which is fine because I don't need to see what I probably a very ugly crier. So I don't <laughs> need people seeing that crap. Um, but I've been in there all night in the hospital doing it. Um, so I wasn't going to do it there. They tried to poke at me and really I was just at that point tired and kind of just in shock. 12 hours earlier, I was doing fantastic in the show. All of a sudden now I'm leaving with a broken ankle and I have to go get surgery for, um, from nothing crazy. It was just walking. So I was still in shock trying to figure the whole thing out. So I was probably a really crappy interview. Um, just watching me kind of stare off into the distance, trying to figure things out still. Yeah. Uh, you also mentioned earlier that you still keep in touch with uh, the coaches, uh, particularly with Steve Austin. Uh, what is the biggest lesson you learned from Steve Austin during your time in Tough Enough? Actually, Steve Austin was nice enough to give me his uh, information after. We've chatted multiple times since Tough Enough. Uh, still keep in touch. And really the biggest thing that I learned from him is he told me you don't ever see Stone Cold Steve Austin doing a bunch of flips or cool moves. You see Stone Cold Steve Austin climbing some beers, flipping people off, and stepping mud holes in people. But you notice everyone related to a character. Steve, Steve, Stone Cold Steve Austin had a character that everybody could relate to. They hated their boss, or they wanted to rebel, or whatever reason that they related to that character for. He didn't have to do any sort of crazy moves or, or anything physical to bring attention to himself. But he had a character so strong and relative that people just were attracted to him. I took that to heart a lot. And if you'll notice in Lucha Underground, you're not gonna see a top 50 moves of Marty the Moth because there's only probably three moves that I do. Um, I just made a character that people are either utterly disgusted by or that people just kind of laugh at, or they're either way they're attracted to Marty the Moth. So that's kind of I've been working mostly 
from what Steve Austin told me just to make people relate to my character somehow rather than trying to do a double backflip. Interesting. And so that's what I took away from Stone Cold Steve Austin is you'll see more character work out of me um, than you will a beautiful match like Ricochet where there's these good triple flips and stuff like that. Can I do those? Some stuff, maybe not a double backflip, um, but I can, I'd rather have people relate to the character like Stone Cold told me to. So Stone Cold said so, so I might as well do it right. Yeah, I, yeah. I probably would do the same thing. So between uh, your exit in Tough Enough in 2011 and Lucha Underground coming to be in 2014, uh, what did you do in those three years and with which promotions were you affiliated? Um, A lot of promotions. After Tough Enough and I came back, I went across the United States. I went to Germany. Um, pretty much, I did take advantage of it as much as I wanted to, um, but there's a lot of places that I went. Um, Germany was probably my favorite because it was my first time traveling outside for wrestling. That was with the guy named Alex Wright, if you ever watched WCW. Um, that's Wonder Kid. He danced around a lot with Disco Inferno. Uh -huh. wow. um, so that was super fun for me. Uh, really, I just wanted to get out and do as much as possible just so that people move past the broken ankle. And that, cause that's what everybody remembered me from yep. um, was a broken ankle. So I really just kind of worked as many places as possible across the country um, just to kind of go past that point of, hey, you're the guy that broke himself. So um, let, let's transition to how you got into Lucha Underground. And when it was being put together, uh, you know, one of the names attached to the project was Eric Van Wagenen, who was also the executive producer on Tough Enough. Was he your first point of contact with Lucha Underground when they were setting the show up? He sure was. Um, so, thank God for Facebook. Um, I got hit up for Tough Enough on Facebook. And then years later, Eric Van Wagenen, who worked with me on Tough Enough, hit me up on Facebook saying, hey, we're going to try and bring Lucha Libre to America. Would you be interested? And I said, heck yes. This was a year before Lucha Underground even had the name Lucha Underground. Um, I didn't think it was going to be what it, what it is now. Uh -huh. um, I think we still have a lot more growth to go. Um, but he's like, would you be interested? I said, yes. Okay, cool. We're about a year out still. We're still trying to just grab talent and uh, be ready for this for when it launches. I said, great. So every couple of months, I'd check back in with them. And finally, a guy named Krista Joseph called me up and said, hey, this is what we're thinking with you. Uh, we're, we'll be shooting here in, I, I don't remember what month it was. So here's what we're shooting. I'll see you then. I said, fantastic. So it worked out very easily for me. I didn't have to go do tryouts or anything like that. They just knew me from Tough Enough. They knew what I could do, and they knew I'd be entertaining. So I actually got it pretty lucky as far as that, uh, going from Tough Enough to Lucha Underground. Yeah. Uh, where did the idea of Marty the Moth Martinez come from? Was it something you came up with? Was it something uh, Eric Van Wagenen or Krista Joseph came up with? Where did you get that character? Um, it's just something that the writers of Beach Underground uh, came up with. I don't know who, which one in particular. But when I first got there, because when I wrestled there at Beach Underground first, I was a magician. Yes, yeah. I was Magnificent Martin, which you can actually see. Here's a tease bit. Um, you can actually see on episode three of season one. Yeah, we you can see uh, me I saw that time. <laughs> I look ridiculous, don't I? <laughs> um, 
Um, literally with that match, they said, go out there and make me laugh. I don't care what else you do. Just go out there and you're our comedic relief. That's why I was brought in Lucha on a gun was to make people laugh. And, uh, the magnificent Martin guy was one that was tried. I was literally the first thing they, and the only thing they told me is I don't care what you do. Just go out there and make us laugh. So I went out there, I goofed off and people enjoyed it, but they said, okay, that's cool. The character just doesn't quite fit. So I said, thank God. I actually got a concussion, and then with uh, the insurance of Lucha Underground, I couldn't wrestle for pretty much three months, mm -hmm. which was most of the shooting of season one. If you notice, I wasn't in season one most of it, yes, but I was yeah. one of the first guys signed. I was one of the first guys signed at Lucha Underground, and that's all because I got a concussion during one of the dark matches, and insurance wouldn't let me wrestle. Wow. So finally, yeah, so pretty much season one is almost over. I finally get to be able to go in there, and the first thing I get to do at Lucha Underground is a vignette where I kidnap a girl. So fantastic. I like where this Martin and Mott thing is going already. Um, they basically came up to me, Krista Joseph, and said, uh, you are Marta the Moth Martinez. You're part of the Moth tribe. Uh, you're essentially just a big kid, and you're not all there up top. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Um, so, first off, my thought process was, number one, how intimidating is a moth? Yeah. Not that intimidating. <laughs> yeah, not <laughs> so, at all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I never pictured myself going up and Marty the Moth and actually being intimidating to anybody. Um, so, I wasn't too excited, but then I just figured I'd make the most out of it and let me have a lot of creativity with it. That's what they gave me. Um, and then really I worked with Chris, to Joseph, Vampiro, and me just try to create something that has a little bit more substance than what the heck is Marty the Moth from the Moth Tribe. Now it's actually relevant. I created a backstory behind it. I've got the things with Melissa Santos. There's a lot more depth to the character. Um, and uh, that's what they handed to me. And then working through them and just kind of going and doing my own research like I said, I'm an actor as well, so that's pretty much what I did is treated this like another, any other role, and uh, that's how it kind of evolved. So this is a long answer to that one question, but uh, this is that they, that's what they handed to me as far as Marty the Moth Martinez, and then it just kind of evolved to where it's at now. Yeah, one of the very first images I have of you in Lucha Underground is you behind Melissa Sandoz doing the, uh, that thing with your arms, the moth wave, or I don't know what to call it. Uh, did you come up with that? Actually, it's hilarious. The first day I was, was going to be on TV as Marty the Moth, um, we were doing rehearsals just so the cameras know where to go when people are walking out during their entrances. And I was goofing off. I love to goof off. So if you guys ever hang out with me regularly, I just goof off all the time. So I went up there and was whispering something in Melissa Santos's ear and goofing off with her. And then Krista Joseph said, wait, wait, stay right there. I'm like, wait, what? What do you mean? Like, no, can you do that? And just flap your arms like a moth? That would be hilarious. I'm like, sure. <laughs> He's like, you're going to do that? I'm like, yeah, why not? I don't care. I have no idea what the heck this character is, so let's try it. So that's how the whole thing started was me goofing off in, in rehearsals and Chris and Joseph seeing something that he could use and saying, let's do it. And uh, instantaneously it caught on because everybody loves Melissa Santos. She's, she's the queen of the temple yep or whatever they call it, the jewel of the temple i don't know what she is but everybody loves it yeah so it actually caught on instantaneously so that every single time they've had me <laughs> introduced 
Uh, they've had me up on Melissa Santos, and it's been very fun because I always try to break her and make her laugh, make her stop announcing me, make her do something. I whisper the most weird crap into her ear every single time she announces, and she does never, ever knows what I'm going to say to her. So uh, that's how that whole thing started, and that's how it continued, and that's what we're going to be exploring in Season 3, and I'm very excited for you guys to see the rest of this season for it. Can you give us an example of the type of uh, weird stuff you'd whisper in Melissa Santos's ear? Um, I do it all on the fly, so it's something I gotta try and remember. Um, it's literally whatever <laughs> pops in my head on the. It's literally whatever pops in my head at that time. Um, so it's nothing that I planned beforehand. Um, I think I th- I think I said one time, "Ooh, baby, you look good in silk," or my I think one time I said my crotch itches or something, or uh, can you can you feel can you feel me? I'm really wet right now. Is some things I said to her because I pour water all over myself just to get ready for my matches. And so it, unfortunately, poor girl for her, it usually drips on her and she usually gets pretty wet during my announcement. So I apologize, Mr. Santos, but you're too fun to work with. <laughs> um, I, I, I say whatever is on my mind um, at that time. So um, she's so professional; she does not break. And if you watch the last episode, that's why I had to resort to a sandwich to the mouth. <laughs> yeah, 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 I love I that. Saw that. Really love that. <laughs> so, um, what type of what type of research did you uh, did you do to get into the character? Were there any influences that you really had to do a deep dive on to? Just, get into that Marty the Moth Creeper character? Very much so. Actually, I did a lot of research on serial killers. Uh, Ted Bundy, Ed Gein, um, Gacy, um, especially serial killers, and even uh, fictional serial killers like the Joker, Hannibal Lecter. Um, I liked the, the Joker and Hannibal Lecter and Ted Bundy dynamic because... The Joker's crazy, and you'll see a lot of Joker in Mario the Moth. Yeah. But I also like Hannibal Lecter, who has an overall plan and is very less loud than the Joker. But somebody like Ted Bundy was somebody that you could go to a club and fit into society. Someone like Gacy could, was a great person in society where he would go to all like the... I don't remember if it was Boy Scouts or what it was, but he would fit into society and had a prevalent role in society. But when people were looking, he was killing people and putting them in their basement. So that's what scared me more than anything was I could be someone who's your best friend and we go to the store together. Meanwhile, while you go home and watch Netflix on the Lucha Underground on Netflix, I could be down here kidnapping and torturing somebody. Right. That's what scared me more than anything. So I really do a lot of research into the what makes serial killers tick, why they think the way they do. Um, someone like Ed Gein is just super crazy. He was, uh, if you're not familiar with him, um, I did a lot of research into serial killers, if you can tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he actually would kill people, um, gut them, and make furniture and clothes out of their skin. Wow. And, and their body parts. So that's... I wanted to go as, as extreme as possible with Mario the Moth to kind of figure out how far should I go mm-hmm. and how far could I go and then uh, go from there to kind of bring what could I incorporate into Mario the Moth. So I did a lot of research into serial killers um, and that's kind of where you're going to see this pro- character progress more and more into. 
have you ever had any ideas for the character that have been turned down by by management or by the producers just because it went a little bit a little bit too far than you know everyone had had uh, thought for the for the character? Um, not I. Most of them they just I'll send them a bunch of ideas and they won't write back anything. But then I'll see later on that they'll use some of the ideas, and unless I ask them about it. They won't say anything about it. So I won't get a, hey, no, this is stupid or anything like that. Um, however, if I do something that comes to my head during a match, they'll cut that from TV. So I've had that happen to me before. Um, I remember one time in the Weapons of Mass Destruction match, mm-hmm. um, a match I had with Killshot, they had missiles and grenades and everything out there. And they told me just to go do whatever I wanted to do. Um, so they hadn't turned down ideas. But this one time, I, I think I did something horrible to kill shot. Um, and then I took a missile and then put it on my crotch area like my missile was my private parts. Yeah. And then I played with it like it was my private part and spit in some guy's face. They cut that from TV. Um, <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> but I wonder why. Yeah, you can't really pretend like a missile is your junk and make it explode. So, so they don't shut down my ideas, but they've taken some stuff off of TV that I've done that are too hot for TV, essentially. Coming from Utah, which is a very conservative, conservative place, uh, I, I never got to ask if your family is also conservative, but did you ever feel some sort of disconnect with uh, your background and th- the type of character you're portraying, especially given how extreme the lengths uh, Marty and Moth goes to? Absolutely. I'm not really with me. It's very conservative here in Salt Lake City. In fact, I am, my house that I live in now, my first house, I'm buying a second one, but my first house that I bought is probably 20 minutes from Brigham Young University, which is the most conservative place ever. Yeah. So, um, but I am also not very conservative either. I love going out there and having fun. So there was a disconnect between the rest of the state and me anyway. Uh-huh. And I relate more to Marty the Moth anyway. But it was kind of interesting to watch people who are a little bit more conservative from Utah that went to high school with me. Oh, you're on Netflix. Yeah, I'll check it out. That was a little bit creepy. I don't know if I'll be watching that again. Like, okay, whatever. <laughs> you're lost. I had one friend who said... Uh, my uh, daughter had nightmares about you. I said, okay, thank you. I guess you could take that as a compliment, right? I 100% take that as a compliment. That means, number one, I did something memorable so that after the show is over, you still remember me. And number two, I had such a reaction from you that you remember me in your sleep. So you're welcome. <laughs> Yeah, uh, one of the things that I've noticed uh, going throughout Lucha Underground season is your evolution, or no, Mari the Moth's evolution as a character. You started off as you know just a creepy guy waving his arms behind Melissa Santos, and on the latest episode, you were stabbing someone. You were stabbing Phoenix with a fork. That, that yeah, was scary. That, that was very disturbing, but it was great. Uh, did you ever uh, did you ever think that the Marty the Moth character would go this far, or that they'd let you go this far? Absolutely. Um, I didn't know that this far would involve a fork, 
But Fork, yeah, um, I 100% believe that in order for me to be the heel that I wanted to be, I would need to be doing more drastic things. And like I said in the very beginning, I was brought in as a comedic relief. I was brought in just to make people laugh. You'll see that in season one. Mm -hmm. Then we figured out, I started talking to Vampiro, and I said, I love being the guy that makes people laugh. I love going out there and making people happy. But I know the guy that makes people laugh isn't the one holding that championship belt. So, Vampiro, do you have any ideas? And if you want someone to go dark, Vampiro is the man to ask. Uh-huh. Yes. So, <laughs> so Vampiro threw around some ideas, talked with uh, Joseph and the writers, and here we are. Now I'm stabbing Phoenix with a fork in the face. Um, I knew I needed to do something dark and evil, and I wanted to do these darker things with a character just to be sticking out. I didn't know it was going to involve a fork, but I knew things like this were going to be the, be in that, go that dark. I knew we were going to go that dark. I just didn't know it was involving a fork and a kitchen utensil to, to someone's skull. A huge chunk of your, of your time in Lucha Underground has been you interacting with the women, whether it's Mariposa or Melissa Santos or Sexy, Sexy Star. Star. How is it like working with these women and um, who's been... Uh, Who's been your favorite one to work with? Um, whew, that's a tough one. Um, but as far as favorite one, um, it's been, I think, a joyride and a blessing, really. Um, because when you're wrestling, it's very, very hot subjects right now with men wrestling women. Yep. It's yes. a very sensitive yes, it subject. Um, and so anytime I had to wrestle Sexy Star or I worked with Mariposa, or anything that I do with Melissa, I had to keep that in mind as well as far as people are watching this. So are the feminists, so they're going to be pissed off about everything I do. Um, and then people are going to be very judgy and very, very watching this very closely. So everything that I do is going to be judged. So I had to think about in the, in the very beginning, how far did I want to go? How did I want to treat this? Because I wrestled Sexy Star for whole season two. Yeah. Yes, um, yes. And I, ha- I had to make it look good enough to, it would make sense. And she's not picking up a 240-pound guy because that wouldn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to use a lot of that psychology that I learned from talking with Stone Cold Steve Austin um, just to kind of make sure the matches made sense, make sure I give respect to the women that I'm wrestling, um, and make sure that we put, as far as Lucha Underground, put women in a good light where I believe Lucha Underground creates superheroes and you don't hear all this stuff about uh, Black Widow getting punched in the face by Nighthawk or whatever his name is. You don't hear all this stuff about that. You hear a little bit of rumblings of it, but for some reason Lucha Underground, I creep up on one girl and now everyone's going insane. But if, on a movie, it's for some reason different. It's not different and that's why I need to make sure the world understands is what are we doing in the wrestling ring is just like what were they doing in the Avengers. Except why are you complaining about that I'm wrestling a girl when Blackwood is out there kicking the crap out of Ant-Man and all those other guys in Civil War? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, out, yeah. Out of your time in Lucha Underground, what has been your favorite match that you've wrestled? And you've wrestled some great matches, but which one stands out to you the most? The one that sticks out to me the most, honestly, and, and, and it might be a cliche answer, um, but my weapons of mass destruction match with Killshot, 
There's another match coming up here um, that I can't say what it is. Yeah, don't spoil yes, it. But don't there's spoil another it. match. <laughs> I'm sorry? Uh, please don't spoil it. <laughs> um, there's a couple good, amazing matches that I that's coming up that were very important to me as well. But up to what we've seen thus far, really the Weapons of Mass Destruction match was a big favorite of mine. Uh, really just because there was so much pressure on me and Shane Strickland to make sure it's the best match we could. There was a lot of hype when the show was coming out. There was a lot of just pressure on us to make sure it was good. So after it turned out the way that it did, that's a match that stuck out to me um, as being emotionally stressful and then working out very well. So that's one of the matches that stuck out to me as one of my favorite matches that we've seen so far. I've got some great matches coming up that I'm excited for the world to see. We're going to tweet you once these matches come out so we can update uh, update the answer to that question. Absolutely. Yeah, we're looking forward to those matches. So let's zoom out for a bit, and um, I, I want to ask about the production aspect of Lucha Underground. Like, uh, you, you've wrestled in uh, many promotions over the years, so what's the biggest difference in working with Lucha Underground relative to those other places where you've worked? As far as the wrestling aspect of it, pretty similar to... Like Championship Hollywood, most of other TV places are pretty much the same. You, you shoot TV the same way in wrestling as everywhere else. Um, so that didn't change that much. However, the thing I love about, love about Lucha Underground is the vignette aspect of it, the backstage part of it, the Hollywood part of it. So I thoroughly love that. And just being more in front of the camera doing vignettes where, unfortunately, you have to do a scene a thousand and a half times from this angle, this angle, this angle, this angle, uh-huh. in order to do it. that That's what was different than the other wrestling companies I've been to. Because if you look at the other wrestling companies, they're a wrestling show, not a TV show. So it's usually you're walking and some camera just happens to be back there while you're getting jumped or you're jumping somebody. Yep. Um, where here, it's a scene where I get to talk with Dario Cueto. We have to do it multiple times so we can get his facials, my facials, big uh, widescreen shots. That, I think, is the biggest difference. As far as when we're wrestling, it's pretty much the same whether you're in the WWE, Championship Hollywood, um, as long as you're doing it right, that is, um, it's pretty much the same way to shoot wrestling. But the big difference for me with New Jonathan was doing the scenes and vignettes, the Hollywood style stuff that we get to do as well. How much creative freedom do you get with your vignettes? Like, uh, say, in terms of the input you want to get into that scene or whatever it is you're shooting, how much creative freedom do you get? They give us a lot of creative freedom. Um, Skip Chison is the guy who does our uh, vignettes. He's amazing. Um, we, of course, have to skip or stick with the script. Um, it's just I get to place actions in there that kind of make my character stick out. Like I had a, a one with Dario Cueto, and they said he knocks on the door and walks in. Well, I said, well, what if I walk in first and knock on the door for no reason whatsoever, <laughs> um, just because I'm Marty Moss? And that's what he's like, yeah, sure, the Marty Moss would do that. So I love it. So they're, they're good with that. I always ask for, like, they said he pulled out a picture from his pants and puts it on the thing. So I could have easily just pulled a picture of Melissa Santos out of my crotch and put it there, but I decided – Mars the moth. I might as well get creepy with it. So that's where the licking and the kissing and the touching, uh, grabbing the picture and making it look like I'm enjoying it way more than I should comes from. 
Um, and they give me that creative freedom, so they let me kind of go there. And sometimes they bring me back. Maybe that's a little bit too weird. I have been pulled back before with some stuff with me and my sister. Uh, but they've actually given me a lot of creative freedom. And that's one thing I love about Lucha Underground is that they let us explore and they'll listen to what our ideas are. So that's why I love this place. You guys do the you guys shoot the vignettes twice, right? Or at least twice, because you have to also do it in Spanish. Uh, no, actually, uh, we um, we shoot the the vignettes just one time. Honestly, one time is a thousand times uh-huh. um, um, in Hollywood. But we shoot just the one time, and then they'll take the Spanish stuff and then dub it on to what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Funny thing is, is like when you do scenes with Phoenix, Phoenix doesn't know really a lot of English, and yeah. I didn't back then. I didn't know a lot of Spanish. I'm learning a lot more Spanish now. Um, but you'll have two guys interacting each other. All we know is that this is my line. He's going to say something that I have no idea what the heck it is, and then I'm going to say my line again. And it's the same thing with him. He's, he's going to say something in uh, in English. I'm going to say something in Spanish. I have no idea what the heck he's saying, but. This is the emotion that's supposed to come out of me. So it was kind of fun, just like, I have no idea what you're saying, but yes, this, I know I'm supposed to be angry at you right now. Yeah. So it was kind of fun with that language barrier. Um, but then they would just dub it on there um, and not make us actually try and speak Spanish, which thank God, because I would probably, back then, would have sounded horrible. It's amazing that you described it that way because I can imagine how disjointed it must be when you guys don't really know what the other guy is saying in the line or in, uh, when you guys are throwing lines at each other and yet you know that that's how you're supposed to react when he says it. Exactly. And, and that also comes down with the, be- the better, um, the more time people took into it, the better the scenes were like. Dario Cueto is an amazing actor. So anytime you're in a scene with Dario Cueto, you're going to step up your game because he's just that good. But then you have these other people like wrestlers that don't have any sort of Hollywood experience, um, that they don't speak the language, they don't have any idea what's going on in the scene, they didn't study the scene or figure things out in the scene, they just want to wrestle. Um, so you definitely go from being brought up to this awkward I'm just going to say something to you. You're going to say something to me. And we have no idea what the heck each other are saying to yourself. But with me, I always did the scenes before, worked out what I was going to say. Why would I be saying this? Some people don't do that. And so you can definitely tell there were some awkward times doing some scenes. Uh, where And, and they did cover it so well, Lucha Underground. But there were some awkward times during scenes where I have no idea what you're saying, but we're just going to keep going. <laughs> you know, Marty Lamont, you filmed a lot of vignettes to explain your character to put some backstory into it, uh, which one has been your favorite so far? Hmm. I would say... My favorite, my favorite, my favorite. Honestly, my favorite would just be uh, the one that just showed. The one with my sister and me where I pulled the uh, picture out of my crotch and this was last Wednesday uh-huh. yes yeah so I think that one was my favorite one because I was able to create a lot in that character because the script says he pulls picture out of pants puts it here and what's interrupts um and obviously it says my lines in there but it gave me a lot of freedom to be creepy during this time I can be creepy during this shot 
there's a lot of creative freedom for me there. And then I had the extra element of my sister in there. Um, it was a, a vignette that everything came together as far as my character with what I've been doing with Moses Santos for three seasons and my sister being there. So I think that one, story-wise for me, um, was probably my favorite. If I had to pick a second, it would have to be my Weapons of Mass Destruction match um, vignette with Dario Cueto because he's just so freaking good. All right, I'm glad um, you mentioned yeah. Dario because uh, he's definitely one of our favorites uh, here um, You know, as, as uh, the Lucha Underground fans. What is it like working with him, and what's the biggest uh, lesson you've learned from him? Um, really, the biggest thing I learned from him is just you got to be on your game 110% when you're with him because he is a straight-up Hollywood actor. Um, it was adorable, just kind of off-tangent. But the first time meeting him, he's Dario freaking Cueto. Uh-huh. But he's an actor in real life. He doesn't know anything about wrestling. Um, so my first time meeting him, he's like, so you, uh, you guys wrestle? Like, yeah, yeah, we wrestle. Do you like do this every weekend or what? Do you come down here every weekend and I just barely came on or how does this all work? And so I'm over here explaining how professional wrestling works to a guy who's supposed to be my boss on TV. Uh-huh. Um, but when you turn the cameras on, he knows everything. He's Dario freaking Cueto. You were a little bit scared of him because he might put a hit out on you. So... I really think he's just, with him, I just learned you have to be on the top of your game. I love doing scenes with him. Everyone loves Dario Cueto, and that's in the locker room as well. I think Luis is probably one of the best guys in the world, and I might have a mad crush on him. Yeah, speaking of the locker room, uh, you mentioned that here in Lucha Underground, you come across guys you've known before, you know, Son of Havoc, Ivelisse. uh, Who has been the guy or who has been the wrestler that you just got to meet? on Lucha Underground that has been your favorite guy to work with or, you know, just a great guy to work with? Honestly, I would actually have to say either Shane Strickland Killer Shot or Sammy Callahan. Mm-hmm. Um, I had never met either of those guys beforehand. And I connected really well with Shane um, in the ring and the stories that we've done with him. And then Sammy Callahan was just connected as bros, like in the locker room hanging out and we got to do a little bit when he first came in and then Ivelisse got hurt or else we might have I think we were going to do a storyline with me and Ivelisse and him but uh, that changed because well life happens yeah but uh, I was very excited to work with him I'm sure it'll happen eventually but Sammy Callahan is another one that I was very excited to meet that instantly we connected Uh, we are pretty much bros uh, and uh that's one that, because of Lucha, I met and pretty much fell in love with it instant- instantaneously. The whole locker room, honestly, is just really a fun locker room. Everyone loves each other. Everyone supports each other. And it's great to be in a locker room of that setting versus other locker rooms I've been into where people are fighting for spots and, well, I hope he hurts himself and backstabbing. It just, it's, it's very good to be in a Lucha Underground locker room with people that are supporting each other. We're just about to wind out here, so last couple of questions because uh, we, we we've actually gone over an hour. So uh, you know, for starters, thank you. And um, so, uh, as as one of the last few questions, is there anyone on your bucket list of guys you want to work with that you haven't worked with before, whether it's in Lucha Underground or outside of it? Um, son of habit. For hell's sake, I've known him on, from tough enough. I've known him from um, Lucha Underground, and I've yet to step in the ring with him. Yeah. Yes. Um, you noticed. Good point. 
I think that would be super fun just with the history of ourselves. He's so athletically gifted. I would love to step through his uh, son of havoc. I got to wrestle him on a on the Lucha Underground tour, um, but Paul London is another guy that I really like to get in the ring and do a story with because I think the Moth Tribe is so out there. Yeah, and so is the Rabbit yes. Tribe. So I'd put the Moth Tribe that. and the Rabbit Tribe together. That would be one crazy episode. Yeah, that would actually be something to watch. You know, Paul London against Marty the Moth Martinez. Um, You might have to do a set amount of drugs in order to make sense of what happens in that match. (laughs) Yeah, let's hope we don't get in uh, any trouble for that. Okay. Um, So so we are in for a lot of surprises, I'm guessing, uh, as we march towards Ultima Lucha 3. Can you give all of us just a, a little tease for what's in store for either Marty the Moth or Mariposa or even the show as a whole? Absolutely. Um, number one, the show as a whole, expect awesomeness. If you watch Lucha Underground, you should be expecting that anyway. Uh-huh. We do. Yes. Um, but the rest of this season is going to get more brutal and more brutal and more brutal by the time... I got done with my Ultima Lucha 3 match, which I'm not going to say what it is, but Marty the Moth is at Ultima Lucha 3 somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, by the time we got done with that match, I just looked around at these other matches and thought, wow, this is insane. There is, this, it gets super brutal. Um, if you guys couldn't tell, um, I just forked the crap out of Phoenix. Yeah. So yes. that was fun. Um, and we're, Maybe we'll be exploring that Musa Santos, Mario the Moth angle a little bit more in depth. So, not to drop any spoilers, but maybe that's something you should be looking out for. Yes, we're looking um, forward to that. <laughs> that one's going to be fun because something happens that I'm sure the fans are going to thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy. Um, also, the storyline between me and my sister gets involved a little bit more as well. Hey, oh. um, but that's all I'm going to say about that. Just there is so much good happening in these next 14 episodes or 15 episodes of Lucha that I'm very excited for the world to see. As for your other projects outside of Lucha Underground or even outside of wrestling, what can your fans and what can our listeners uh, expect from you? Well, um, first off, you guys can all follow me on Martin Casals on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. My official website is martincasals.com. Like I said, I opened up a supplement company, so if you hurt, you drink energy drinks, you need to sleep better, go to live. Go to my website, martincasals.com, and get supplements that make you feel better. Um, I beat the crap out of people for a living, and then I come <laughs> home, and so I, uh, my body obviously goes through a lot. So if I could feel good beating the crap out of people for a living, uh, then you could feel good not doing it and by taking my supplements. So go on there. I have my supplement company. You're going to see a lot more movies out of me. Um, I have a couple movies that's coming out soon, but I can't mention them, unfortunately. Yeah. Because uh, of contract stuff. So but that's good. If there's contract stuff on it, that means they're, they're good movies. Um, so expect to see me on the big screen as well as uh, helping people with my supplement company. So if you need supplements, come check me out uh, and keep your eye out for um, some movies that are coming out soon. As a party message. Oh, and oh, yeah. as far as as far as wrestling, I'll be I've been traveling a lot, mm-hmm. uh, so I'll be watching AAA in Mexico, and um, look for me on, on the weekends because I've been traveling everywhere. So keep in touch with me on my social media because I put out every weekend where I'm at. 
So I'll probably be in a city near you if you just keep open your eyes open to watch. Absolutely. Sure. As a parting message for our listeners, and a good chunk of them uh, are are getting involved in the local wrestling scene through one way or another. As somebody who has had to balance a professional career in corporate and your professional wrestling career, what message can you uh, can you give to inspire the local wrestling community here in the Philippines? Okay, figure out what you want to do out of life. Period. If you want to be a wrestler, fine. If you want to be doing movies or in the corporate world, fine. Figure out what you want to do and then work outwork every single person in that field. That's how you're going to get anywhere. That's what I did in wrestling. That's why I did in stocks. Um, but figure out what you want to do and then outwork everybody there. As far as for the wrestling scene, if, you, if wrestling is what you want to do, I would find the best wrestling school, that most reputable school that you're able to go to, whether that's in your country, in your state, or if you have to go to another country and find a one there, go to the best and most reputable wrestling school you can and take the most advantage of your time. Like I said, I spent five years in uh, where I didn't know I could go out and learn from all these other people. So I essentially wasted five years of my first year's wrestling. So get out there, go to a good school, and outwork and outstudy every single person in that school. That's step one. That's step two. Talk to me after you've done that. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we're all going to keep note of that. Uh, that brings us to the end of the interview. Thank you so much, Martin. We really appreciate yes, you, you. Uh, waking up extra early um, and, and just spending this hour with us letting us pick your brain on all things related to your career and we wish you nothing but the best in everything that you do moving forward thank you very much guys thanks for the time to have me on send me the interview I'll promote it out there but I appreciate you guys this time absolutely thank yes. you Martin have a great day thank you so much you as well huge thanks once again to Martin Casaus or Marty the Moth Martinez for just taking an hour plus out to talk to us and share his story, share his insights, everything he's learned over his, uh, what, 14-year career so far. Uh, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, obviously at this time uh, that we're recording, uh, neither Ro nor Camus have actually listened to the interview. So I'm, I'm really going off of what we talked about no, no, last no, week. Well, we, well, from what we can hear, or you know, from judging from the way you guys were talking to him while we were recording uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, but uh, uh, I mean, like, uh, it, he did seem pretty fun to talk to. You know, he he, he did seem pretty happy. He's like a nice guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he had a lot of jokes. Uh, he was also very self-deprecating in so many ways. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if anybody who's listening would have noticed this part. He actually didn't cuss throughout the entire interview, which, <laughs> which says a lot about his self-restraint. Hmm. I, I guess. Um, I'm not sure if we told him at the start now. We have the explicit tag anyway, so he could just let loose with the F-bombs or, or whatever, you know. But, well, now we know. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll never get to tell him that. But anyway. Um, so if you if you love the interview, let us know. You can actually hit us up on Twitter. It's at the SGP Podcast at Roizwar at Caveman Camus at Sindaquelio for Anthony at underscore Stancy for me and for our guest. It's at Martin Casaus. Now on that note, we uh, we have to end the podcast as usual with our picks of the week. I'm going to start with mine. Uh, we talked about this earlier. The triple threat 
main event on SmackDown for the United States Championship between AJ Styles, Kevin Owens, and Chris Jericho. And what I have to say about this match is I had no idea who was going to win. I really thought KO would retain. And when AJ Styles got the championship back, I literally marked out. And this is especially... uh, It's really special for me because nobody spoiled it for me. I... I think I watched this Wednesday afternoon. So I was able to mark out in full and just enjoy the match from start to finish. So if you haven't seen it, it's a good 10-minute 10, 10 main event. And as Camus mentioned about an hour ago, it's probably one of the best SmackDown main events we've had in a long time. So that's my pick. Right, right, right. So my pick of the week is uh, this one you'll never see coming, but... Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Kota Ibushi from day three, I believe. Day three of <gasps> G1 Climax. Uh, yeah, the pick you oh thought I would never make. The pick you thought I would never make because I hate Kota Ibushi. But yep. this match, uh, Zack, Zacky four belts, three belts, my bad. Zacky three belts, or is he a four already? He's got three. He's three. three. Uh, Zacky three belts was able to ground uh, the golden star for the entire 15 or so minute match, and that is a fucking achievement if you know how a Kota Ibushi match goes. So I think uh, Ibushi should just keep wrestling technicians and grapplers for the rest of his career because they stayed on the ground. They never left, not even for one big spot when Ibushi was about to win. Uh, the finish was a powerbomb, and I did not know he had an Indian to, to, to wrestle a match without having to you know, leave his feet you know, go up the top rope and do weird dives like that and risk his life. Well, he did kind of risk his life, but not as much as he usually does. Well, that's what happens when he has all this time to do the research for, you know, with me, whatever it really is. It's like the <laughs> it's second not even Center for Kids Who Can't Read Good. We're keeping it G1 with my pick of the week. Um, it is Kenny Omega and Minoru Suzuki from day two. And holy shit, barn burner. Um, this one was one of those that Kenny actually, he himself said he survived. He didn't just, he just made it by the skin of his teeth against Suzuki. If you want to watch a hard hitting match, it's something to watch. And my God, Kenny Omega uh, doing a moonsault on one leg is something. Oh, yeah, to that's watch. actually pretty badass. It is pretty fucking badass. And the thing is, um, Kenny Kenny's actually getting involved in another subplot with the Bullet Club, with the Bullet Club Originals. And it's, it's yeah, actually, compelling. Yeah, I actually like the little subplot. Uh, it, it makes the other Bullet Club members. Finally, have a personality. Like, not that they didn't yeah, have a personality. Like, what the fuck did you know about what Tamatanga used to do before, right? Exactly. It gives them it gives them new wrinkles, and at a time when they don't really need this much more storytelling, I mean, they well, the Bullet Club actually did get relevant again by killing off Daryl, but that's something else entirely. I have to ask though, who are the originals so at this point? Is it just Fale and Tonga? Fale Tonga and uh, Fale Tonga, the club, and Finn. No, no, So and it's just Fale and Tonga. No, the uh, yeah. later days. No, no, no. The box. It's Fale and Tonga, yeah. Fale and Tonga. Fale and Tonga na lang. Right, right, right. Okay, cool. 
Alright, so there you have it. Those are our picks of the week. If you have any other picks that you want to share with us, some matches you actually want to have us watch, uh, since um, you know we are spending a little bit more time at home, given the rain and all that, let us know on social media. You can find us on Twitter, or you can actually drop us a line on facebook.com slash the SGP podcast. And now, on behalf of our guest, Martin Casaus, on behalf of Raf Kamus and Ro Moran, my name is Stan C. We're out of here. Next week, we've got the official PWR Live Bakbakan sa Bayanihan Review. So stay tuned for that one. Sit down. Yeah, both. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.